Well, thank you, Father, for speaking to us through your word. Thank you that you have spoken a clear word. And Father, today as we take our Bibles and open them and study together and receive a word from you, would you allow your word to cleanse us, to scour us, to challenge us, to to be that mirror that we need to look into, to examine ourselves and tell ourselves the truth about who we are before you, a holy God. And, and then as we go from here, that we would be strengthened and encouraged and built up and uh, that we would accomplish your purposes as you direct in our lives. We commit ourselves, Lord, to the hearing and the doing of the word. We ask for your blessing in this hour. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, hello, everyone. My name is Pastor Van Marceau. I'm 52 years old. And I think I have a problem with idolatry in my life. The other night, our family was having ice cream. It was after supper for a snack, and I was the one scooping. And I want to admit to you that I gave myself more than everyone else. It occurs to me that I could love myself too much. And it occurs to me that this self-love leads me to make decisions that might turn my heart away from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Last Wednesday night, I was in the food line. I had $3 in my pocket. I saw the bucket to give the donations. And deep in my heart, a little voice said, No, those $3 will buy a McDonald's coffee and three chocolate chip cookies tomorrow. Keep it. I think I really love myself a lot. I took a phone call the other night and it was from an old college friend. I never hear from him. We talked. He lives on the West Coast. He's one year older than I. He's 53. He's now semi-retired, bought a Winnebago, and six months a year is traveling and taking it easy. And in my heart, I was envious. Do you worry about what goes on deep in the recesses of your heart? I want us to pause this week and... Not to be redundant, but to be careful that we are not like some kind of a stone skipping across the pond. That we've encountered command number one, command number two in our Exodus chapter 20, and I invite you to turn there, series on the Ten Commandments. It occurs to me that as I've been meditating and thinking that we have to be careful not to just skip off of these two commandments and and so not wanting to camp out, but wanting to challenge us to take these first two commands and really think them through in our own lives. Because I recognize that we are not a culture that takes wood and stone and builds idols before which we bow down. But it seems to me that there is an application to a culture that can be easily drawn away from a pure and sincere devotion to their creator and in the New Testament church, a pure and sincere devotion to Christ and that it could very well be the very same idolatrous motives of the heart 
that in the Old Testament made people create a golden calf or to carve something of wood and carve something of stone and say, this is our God or this is the representation of our God or to find that the things that we deeply care about and the things that drive us and the intimate loves of our life really overshadow our love for God and our love for Christ. And hence, we become guilty of having other gods before him. Other things that we love more than we love him. And so I want to challenge us this morning on our first two commandments. In fact, let's stop right now and review them. They should go up on the screen. You should have a card. If you haven't picked up your card, there should be more available out on the counter. If not, we'll make sure in a week or so we put more out. Stick it in your Bible. We're wanting to memorize the Ten Commandments and over the course of the next 10, 11 weeks as we review these important words from God. Decalogue, the deca, the 10 log words, the 10 words from God spilling out from the overflow of his character so that we know how he thinks and what his expectations are for us. Together, let's go. Commandment number one, you shall have no other gods before me. We can do better than that. Commandment number one, you shall have no other gods before me. Let's say it one more time. You shall have no other gods before me. Commandment number two, you shall not make for yourselves an idol in the form of anything. What do we learn from this? We understand that that God is giving an exclusive claim of right over his people. He alone is God. There are no other gods. No other gods are allowed. He wants an exclusive elevated role in our lives that is shared by no one. And when we begin to give other things or other people or other passions a place that only God should have in our lives, it, it seems to me we are guilty of violating command number one and having other gods before him. And though we don't, as I said, chisel out of stone or carve out of wood and, and bow down before some kind of totem pole uh, idol, it would seem that it is easy for us often to create things, especially in our materialistically centered culture, where, where our eyes are so easily turned to things, that things become very important to us and they become the drive of our life lives. And there's things, tangible things, bass boats, grills for decks, lawns without dandelions, that... that you have to admit, I have put more passion, more money, more energy, and more concern in these things than I have at all in my relationship with Almighty God. I mean, when pinned down, you would say, of course I would give up my dandelion-free lawn for my relationship with God. But what is it that speaks in my life? What are the driving forces of my life? You see, we live in a dangerous world, don't we? We live in a world, uh, we live in a world that that is so seductive. And I'm reminded of, of John's teaching in 1 John where he said, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, then the love of the Father is not in him. And then that makes me go to, to Exodus chapter 20 where he says, he said, I am the Lord that brought you out of Egypt. Exodus 20 verse 2. You shall have no other gods before me. We just said that. Then verse 4, you shall not make for yourself a carved image. He goes on to say that I am a jealous God. You shall not bow down to them. Verse 5, for I, the Lord, am, am a, your God, am a jealous God. 
I will even visit the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. Those who turn their hearts away from God have the potential of passing on a lack of blessing on the next generation. But those who follow after God with a steadfast love bless their descendants with a, with a blessing from God, those who love him and keep his commandments. And yet I live in this world, number one, that is so seductive, right? And I'm so easily turned away from a, a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And here in the Old Testament, he lays the foundation for the exclusive claims of the New Testament that apply to the church today. He said, I alone am God. I am not sharing my glory with anybody. You will not represent worship of other things in any form. You will only worship me. So he, he is an invisible God who wants to be audibly heard. He does not want to be seen. And yet we're so taken up with the visual and the things that catch the eye that they can capture our hearts. And when we think about what's going on deep in our hearts, I mean, that causes some worry. And so this morning, I, I want to just root around a little bit more with this concept, because as I said, I don't want it to just skip off of us. And what we need to do as a church, what we have to do as individuals, is you now need what I call lawnmower time. You need to not just come in and be challenged by command number one, command number two. Yep, I don't have any idols in my life. No, I would never bow down before a wooden object. I would never bow down before stone. I will not go pray to a tree all right. I won't pray to the to the bald eagles. I'm not doing that. I'm not going to pray to the sun or to the sky or to the moon god. And yet, are we sure? Are we sure that God has that exclusive claim to the territory of our hearts that he's calling for in Exodus chapter 20 verses 2 and 3? I alone am God. I will not share myself with any other. There's no space in my life for any other loves that, that equal the love of God and that makes him God. And he will not, he will not have things replace him. Now let's turn now to Matthew chapter 22 and remind ourselves of what we've been, been saying each week already in our series. And Matthew 22 is where Jesus reiterates before the Pharisees and the Sadducees a summary of the law. And this is, this is the bridge to the New Testament. The foundation that is laid in Exodus chapter 20, where God looks at his people and says, I alone am God, and I will not be worshipped inappropriately. I will, have, I will not share my glory. How does that apply to the New Testament church? What is it that's going on in our lives today in the New Testament that requires this exclusive claim and, and am I there? That's what I mean by lawnmower time. We now need to, to have time to really think about the fact of what's going on deep in my heart and is God really first in my life? Am I really, am I really a worshiper of the one true God? And is Jesus Christ alone Lord of my life or am I pulled away by what potentially could be other loves that surpass my love for Christ or things that could be identified in my life even as idols. Matthew chapter 22, they said, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment? The great commandment, verse 36 of Matthew 22, and you know this passage well. And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the great and first commandment. So here's my point. 
Jesus is specifically referring back to the Old Testament, to God's claim on his people to be the only God, to not be misrepresented at all. And what that means is, is that God wants to be exclusively loved by his people. And it is to be, it is to be an, a thorough, 100% love. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul. The parallel account says, with all of your might. And that's where I start worrying about myself. Because there's so many things that can go on deep in the heart, aren't there? He goes on then to say, the second is like unto it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's the second half of the list, all based upon the first two. This exclusive claim of God upon his people, not to be shared. But as I've already mentioned, First of all, we live in a very seductive world. And it says there that if we love the world, the love of the Father is not in me. And yet Jesus said that the, the commandments are all about loving God completely. But if I love the world, then the love of the Father is not in me. Now I need some lawnmower time. Now I need to meditate. And we're not good at that, are we? We're always in a hurry. We always have too much going on. We always have too much to think about. And what we need now this week as a church and as individuals is to shut off the talk show in the car on the commute, to get on the lawnmower with the head. Don't put, don't put the ear pods in and listen to music. Just put the ear plugs in and drown out the noise. And use that time to meditate. Okay, do I love the Lord my God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind and all my might? I don't know. I was just uh, thinking the other day about how important so many things are to me. And I think I went, I'm just not growing. or I'm not thinking. I'm not being in love with God the way I should. And do I love my neighbor as myself? That's what I mean about scooping ice cream. It's pretty easy to give myself the biggest scoop, the one with the most pecans in it, you know. Everybody else can get the vanilla part. I'll get the pecan part. You know, because you're just like that. Because not only do we live in a seductive world, but our own hearts are very deceptive, aren't they? Jeremiah said clearly in Jeremiah 17, 9, that the heart is deceitful above all things. And that's why we need lawnmower time. That's why we need some meditation time. What's going on in my heart? I think that living in this world creates all kinds of challenges. And I was thinking about the old, the old proverbial carrot. I brought one along today. And I was thinking about if, if, I, if, I, just, if I just had that, I'd be happy. Do you know that? I think that I think that there's some things out there that I really, really want. What am I in love with? What are the desires of my heart? What are the things that are in danger or have already surpassed in my life, my drive, my motives, my heart, my passion, the exclusive claim that God and Christ would have upon his people? And I think that Americans are particularly susceptible because we live in such a a stuff-centered world. Stuff represents so much to us. We have a lot of stuff, but we just always want more. And then when we get more, we don't want to get rid of what we do have. And and we can get covered up with it. And then they might start a TV show about you, about hoarding and, and how you can't give it away because it means so much to you. And it's so important to you. But if I just had this and and so we just have some things to deal with, I think, in our own hearts and minds as to the exclusive claims of God. And and what is it that I really am in love with? And and is God really the central focus of my life? 
And so what I'd like to do for our, our message this morning is, is I would like us to see in the New Testament the call on our lives based upon Exodus 20, one, uh, 2 through 6, where God says, I alone am God, I'm not to be worshipped inappropriately, how in the New Testament we have exclusive claims as well, that God has a right through Christ. He's represented himself, the image of the one true God is Jesus Christ. He's come and lived on earth, and in the New Testament, he, he calls for us to have exclusivity in our relationship with him. And I want to just challenge us with this a little bit. We're going to have to open our Bibles a little bit and study a little bit to do this. There are three areas that I just want to use as examples or as in a sense so that you get the point. It could be it's even broader, perhaps, than what I'm referencing this morning. But I want you to see, number one, that in the New Testament, that the New Testament calls the Christian to an undivided heart in the same way that God called Israel of old to have no other gods in their lives to have an undivided heart and passion for Him. When we come to the New Testament, we are called to have an undivided heart in our passion for God and in our loyalty to Christ. Let's go to that familiar passage in Matthew chapter 6, and let's see what it says here. Remind ourselves. It comes right out and tells us that there is an exclusive claim on our life if we're going to walk with Christ. Number one, the New Testament calls the Christian to an undivided heart. Let's read this passage in Matthew 6, verses 19 to 24. We've already bumped into them in the last couple weeks. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's why you can't get rid of stuff. It's why we can just be so given over to passionately pursuing so many things that can overshadow even our love for God. That what we treasure, that's where our heart is. It's a warning. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. It matters what the eye is taking in. It matters what's going on in the heart and how you see the world. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. Now here it is, verse 24, Matthew 6. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. There it is. The call in the New Testament, in a reminder form, using mammon or money, the wealth, the things that it provides, that we are not to have a divided heart. This is really easy to say, oh, I don't have a problem with that. I'm saying you can't just skip off it. We have deceitful hearts. We have to dig into the recesses of our hearts and examine what it is we're really in love with today. And do we really have an undivided heart. I think it's interesting how the Lord can test this in us once in a while. I was, uh, uh, it happens every year for me. I have a coffee can on my closet shelf. Now don't break in my house and steal it. I'm in public saying I got this coffee can full of money, all right? It's like $79, all right? You can break in my house for that, but don't do it when I'm there. Um... And so every year we have this Olympian event, right? 
and, it, and it's the orphans for Africa. And I'm the one that kind of taught our church about Malawi and about the orphans and care about it. And so every year, Stacy Earle and the staff and the Olympians, they have the orphan banks and you're supposed to fill them with change. Well, all my change goes in the coffee can for my next project. It's usually supposed to be a gun, but I always wimp out and buy like something else, like a miter saw or something or a weed whacker that I need with my change can. Well, it's getting full again. And every year about the time the orphan bank come around, I think to myself, I will scoop out of my change can and fill my orphan bank and bring it in. And I do. But do you know the tug of your heart? Think, Pastor Van, you're the pastor of the church and you're a grown man and you got this little tiny bank that holds about 19 or $23 worth of change and you got a big coffee can and you scoop in and you're hoping, you know, and I'm the one that says, make sure it's silver, not copper. Do you know the tug? But, but that's my gun fund. That's my next chainsaw fund. That's my next cool tool fund. And it pulls, doesn't it? And then we have to examine our hearts. What is it that drives me? Why is it that I care so much about the things of this world? Am I truly, am I truly a Christ follower, a worshiper at a high level? The second thing I want you to see, well, let's pick up another verse on this in, in Luke chapter 16, for example. Um, we're going to be in Luke in just a minute, in, and uh, I want you to go to Luke 16 first, just to reiterate and underline our Matthew 6 passage. This is that, that interesting passage, uh, a parable that Jesus told about the dishonest manager and uh, how he was shrewd and so forth. We'll not go into all that, but let's just let our eyes fall on Luke 16, 13, where Jesus is wrapping up this passage, and he says, No servant, Luke 16, 13, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is the words of Christ. And like I said, in the same way that I think God calls for exclusive rights on his people in Exodus 20 in the New Testament, Christ calls for exclusive rights on his church and on his people. My question is, am I there? Number one, the New Testament calls the Christian to an undivided heart. Number two, the New Testament calls the Christian to an undiluted love. The New Testament calls the Christian to an undiluted love for Christ. Let's flip the page back to Luke 14. The other day, our grandkids were over. And it's kind of interesting. Uh, You know, you love your grandkids. um, But when little kids have a little cup of juice or uh, water, and, you know, they don't drink at all. And so I'm helping clear the table, and I wanted another drink, and... And my grandson's cup was there, and I thought, well, I'll just drink out of the opposite side of the cup as I was carrying it over to the... And I looked in it. (laughs) And it was too diluted. It it had bits and flecks, and I don't know what all it had in there, but it had become permeated with other things, and I changed my mind. (laughs) It, It wasn't a pure drink of water. Diluted, you know, get contaminated with other things. There's a strong teaching of Christ in Luke 14, 25. Now great crowds accompanied him and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not, look at this, 
and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. What is that all about? It's one thing for God to be up on a mountain and shake the earth and have clouds and lightning and say, you are to have no other gods before me and you are not to put anything in your life that you would worship besides me. Don't do it. But we're under grace, you know? That's law. But when I come to the New Testament, over and over and over, I see that he, wants to, he still wants that exclusivity, doesn't he? He wants this, this undivided heart. You cannot have two masters in your life. You cannot serve God and another master that's a slave driver to you. You have to figure out who really owns you, who really is in control. And you cannot have a deluded love, Jesus says here. What's he talking about? Are we really supposed to hate our family? It's what I can't figure out about you Christians. You're supposed to be all about love. And then Jesus teaches hate. See, you're hate mongers. No, you're not. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, his wife and his children, his brothers. So you go, hey, honey, just wanted to tell you today that I really hate you. That goes over well. Well, don't we know that we're to love one another deeply, aren't we? And a husband is to love his wife. And there's even an appropriate self-love at some level, isn't there? Because in Ephesians 5, um, Paul taught that a husband is to love his wife even as he loves his own body at some level. I mean, I don't like to throw myself in fire. I don't like to like get hit by cars. I don't like to like have my power nailer put a th- brad through my finger. I love myself too much for that. There's an appropriateness. That's not what I'm talking about, about the kind of self-love that means when no one's looking, you will scoop better ice cream for yourself. It just proves at a base level that we don't love others as much as ourselves. And this, un- this undiluted love that he's talking about here, I think, is a figure of speech. I think Christ is talking about the fact that he wants to own us exclusively. And he wants our love for him to be so deep to be so genuine, to be so thorough, that all other loves in our lives would be as it were hate. That's that's hard to imagine. I think I love Jesus. I know I love Jesus. I want to grow in my love for Jesus. But do I really love Christ so much that when I look at Janet and Tosh and the kids and Jonathan, that I would say... You know, compared to my love for Jesus, I kind of hate you guys. That's just really a crazy thought, isn't it? But that's where I need some lawnmower time. That's where I better give this some thought. How much do I really love Christ? Or is Christ a convenience to me? Is Christ one of the many gods in my life that brings security to me? Are there many things going on in my life that, that I give equal or surpassed attention to, to my attention to Christ. Only you can answer that. Only I can answer that. I know that we're easily distracted, aren't we? I know that the grass always looks greener on the other side of the fence. It made me think of a story that Philip Keller tells in his, his book, that A Shepherd Looks at the 23rd Psalm, about, about how we are to find our satisfaction in God and, and how we're to love Him. And Philip Keller was a shepherd in Australia. He had sheep. And he wrote a book to 
shed light on a deeper understanding of Psalm 23, because you know that David, the psalmist, was a shepherd, right? You know that. And he wrote, he wrote his psalms and songs as he watched over his father's sheep and he was out in the fields. And often in the Bible, sheep are equated with people or people are equated with sheep. And there's nuance, there's lessons that a shepherd understands about sheep, that he sees that exact same quality in people. Philip, Kepper, Philip Keller's little book, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23, is, is very insightful. And he was commenting on that initial phrase, The Lord is my shepherd, finish it with me, I shall not want. Well, I sure want when I go into Bass Pro Shop. You know, I, I want all kinds of things. And so, is the Lord really just filling me up? Am I really, truly satisfied in my love with Christ? And does, does my cup just overrun? No, it's like the, the, the hymn writer wrote, right? Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the one I love. Take my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for your courts above. And that's what Philip Keller's talking about in this story that I want to take a minute and just read it. I've shared this before. He was talking about a, a particular ewe, E-W-E, a mama sheep that was part of his flock. In talking about the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, but really our hearts, our, our love is diluted and, and we don't always trust our our shepherd, we don't always trust our Heavenly Father, and we think we want other things that will bring satisfaction. He writes, I once owned an, an ewe whose conduct exactly typified this sort of person. She was one of the most attractive sheep that ever belonged to me. Her body was beautifully proportioned. She had a strong constitution and an excellent coat of wool. Her head was clean, alert, well set with bright eyes. She bore sturdy lambs and matured rapidly. But in spite of all these attractive attributes, she had one pronounced fault. She was restless, discontented, a fence crawler. So much so that I came to call her Mrs. Gadabout. This one you produced more problems for me than almost all of the rest of the flock combined. No matter what field or pasture the sheep were in, she would search all along the fences or the shoreline, we live by the sea, looking for a loophole she could crawl through and start to feed on the other side. Isn't that us? I'm your shepherd. I'm your God. I'll take care of you. You can rest in me, and we're looking for other options. It was not that she lacked pasturage. My fields were my joy and delight. No sheep in the district had better grazing. With Mrs. Gadabout, it was an ingrained habit. She was simply never contented with the things as they were. Often when she had forced her way through some such spot in a fence or found a way around the end of the wire at low tide on the beaches she would actually end up feeding on bare, brown, burned-up pasturage of a most inferior sort. But she never, learned, she never learned her lesson and continued to fence-crawl time after time. Now it would have been bad enough if she was the only one who did this. It was a sufficient problem to find her and bring her back. But the further point was that she taught her lambs the same tricks. They simply followed her example and soon were as skilled at escaping as their mother. Even worse, however, was the example she set for the other sheep. In a short time, she began to lead others through the same holes and 
over the same dangerous paths down by the sea. After putting up with her perverseness for a summer, Philip Keller says, I finally came to the conclusion that to save the rest of the flock from being, becoming unsettled, she would have to go. I could not allow one obstinate, discontented you to ruin the whole ranch operation. So it was a difficult decision to make, for I loved her in the same way I loved the rest. Her strength and her beauty and her alertness were a delight to the eye. But one morning I took the killing knife in hand and butchered her. Her career of fence crawling was over. You know, it's a reminder to us, isn't it, that, that idolatry... And, and having a love that, uh, for things and other items and, and that messes up our priority is a dangerous thing. It takes us places we shouldn't go. It, it ruins our lives. It takes us out from underneath the blessing of God. Exodus chapter 20 and verses 5, 4, 5, and 6 are talking about that. The sin of the father as he, he gets outside, he's going to influence the others and take him outside of God's blessing. But, but when we... When we stay within this pasturage of, of devotion and the care of our keeper, of an undivided heart and an undiluted love, it brings the blessing of God. One more, third thing that we want to think about from Colossians chapter 3. Will you turn to Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians chapter 3. This is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Colossae and is preserved for us. It's a wonderful letter. Chapter 3. Um, and, and this whole entire letter really focuses on the priority of Christ in our lives. But not only do we want to have an undivided heart, we cannot serve two masters. Not only do we want to have an undiluted love, that is that there is no other love in our life that can compare with the love that we have for Christ. We're not seeking other things in other places to replace that love. The New Testament, number three, calls the Christian to an undistracted walk. Number three, the New Testament calls the Christian to an undistracted walk. Look quickly at Colossians chapter 3, the first few verses. If then, Paul says, you have been raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. He goes on to say, put these things to death. Get them out of your life. But notice what he says. He says, you are to seek the things that are above where Christ is. Set your minds, verse 2, on things above, not on the things of this earth. What a challenge that is, huh? What a challenge. Lawnmower time. Meditation time. Don't just skip off this. Here it is in the New Testament, a call for an exclusive, devoted walk with Christ. Exodus chapter 20, an exclusive claim of God's people to God. He doesn't share himself. The New Testament, repeatedly over and over, the message is that the Lordship of Jesus Christ is overwhelming in our lives. He is to have exclusive claims upon us. We're to not have a divided heart. We're not to have a deluded love. We're not to have an, a distracted walk. It's easy to talk about, isn't it? But it's hard to do. What are the things in my life? What are the things in my life? 
that are dividing my heart? What are the things in my life that open the door towards, towards idolatrous feelings and drives, even if I haven't carved them in wood? What are the things that, that I identify in my life as most important to me? And are they really the things that should mean the most to me? You know, there's a danger even for a church at large to be distracted, isn't there? I ran into a little story that Chuck Swindoll told about a guy that he knew who, who went to Atlanta several years ago. And while he was there, he noticed in the yellow pages in the listing of restaurants an entry for a place called Church of God Grill. The peculiar name aroused my curiosity, he said, and so I dialed the number. A man answered with a cheery, hello, Church of God Grill. And I asked, how did this restaurant have been given such an unusual name? And he told me, well, we had a little mission down here in the city, and we started selling chicken dinners after church on Sunday to help pay the bills. Well, people liked the chicken, and we did such a good business that eventually we cut back on the church services. After a while, we just closed down the church altogether, and we kept on serving the chicken dinners. We kept the name that we started with, and that's the Church of God Grill. Now think about it. They didn't mean to walk away from Christ. They didn't mean to change their focus. They didn't mean to become all about grilling chicken. But they ended up being all about grilling chicken and not very much about Christ. Sounds kind of dumb, isn't it? Dead chickens for sale to eat. How can that compare to the exclusive devotion to our Creator? How can the creation compare to our Creator? And how can our devotion to things like chicken with quotes around it? What's your chicken? What chickens are you grilling lately that might turn your eyes off of Christ and your simple and sincere, pure devotion to Christ? Maybe it's a person. You young people, maybe you're dating somebody. You don't mean to walk away from Christ through that person. But like Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 11, whose wives turned his heart away from his devotion to Christ and turned him into blatant, open idolatry, a person in your life can turn you away. Maybe some of you guys. It wasn't too long ago, I had a lady in my office, tears down her cheeks. She said, all my husband loves is his truck. He didn't mean to love his truck more than his wife. He didn't mean to walk away from God. He didn't mean to skip church to wax and wash his truck and vacuum it out. A truck turning his heart away from his sincere, pure devotion to Christ. Our neighbors, when I was growing up, got involved in Little League. Little League's great. Little League's great. I couldn't be in it. Talk about legalism in Tim's class today. I couldn't be in it because the opening day parade for Little League was on Sunday and so we wouldn't do a parade on Sunday. But my neighbors got involved in Little League and the next thing you know, Little League became the, the center of their world and for years they were, they were just eaten up with baseball and, and the Little League program and you didn't see much evidence of a drive for Christ. It wasn't like they were representing Christ well in the community. They just were all about baseball. There's nothing wrong with baseball. There's nothing wrong with trucks. We want you to get married someday. But aren't these the everyday kinds of things that turn into our chicken? That we begin roasting chickens and forgetting about Christ. 
Don't forget Christ today. Before I close, I just want to... I've, I've actually had a hard time preaching and thinking today because I've been stunned by this phone call by my neighbor. I almost went to my knees in my kitchen this morning weeping because of um, just some goals I had with Doc. And at 1 o'clock this morning, about 200 yards away, I was a sound asleep in bed, and he entered eternity. I don't know completely his spiritual condition, and that's part of my failure. I should know. I should know better. I've tried often to build a friendship. He was strong. Last night, I was in my front yard, and he drove in in his farm pickup and waved, and I waved, and in he went like he does all the time. He didn't know he was seven hours away from entering eternity. Roasting chickens, too busy, too busy for everything. Are you roasting chicken Today, do you know Christ is your Savior? Before you leave here today, make sure. Make sure that you know that your sin is forgiven in Christ. You don't know when you're going to die. You don't know. You don't know if I'm going to do your funeral this week. By Saturday, I could do your funeral. By Saturday, you could be at my funeral. We don't know anything like that. And I'm just overwhelmed with the, the fact that we had better make sure that we preach Christ. And that Christ be the center. And that you know that you're saved and your sin is forgiven. It's not that difficult. God gave us his law. You know as well as I know we violate the law. God can't overlook sin. But he sends Jesus Christ out of his love for us to substitute in for us. Jesus kept the law, went to the cross, took our sin upon himself. So that today we can look to God through faith and accept the finished work of Christ at the cross, that he went there and paid the price for my sin and for your sin. But you've got to look to the cross, my friend. You've got to do it for yourself. You can't walk in your daddy's footprints. No little baptism when you were sprinkled as a baby. No water baptism any other time. No helping little old ladies across the street gets you into heaven. You have to look to God through Christ and admit your sinfulness and know that Jesus took your place. And you accept that finished work for you by faith. Something like this. God, I know I've violated your law. I know that I've sinned against you. And I know that I cannot come into your heaven. I cannot enter into your blessing. But thank you that Jesus Christ alone paid the price for my sin. And today I believe with, by faith I accept that Jesus Christ is my Savior. That he died for me. And today I put my faith and trust in what he did at the cross to satisfy your expectations and make me righteous and whole. Something like that. You have to do it. You have to cry out to God to be saved. Will you bow your head with me, please? So no skipping rocks off of this. All right? Look into your own heart right now. Think about the core of your value system right now. Are you saved from your sin? Are you a child of God in Christ? Do you know today that your sin is forgiven? And that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin and you have looked at God by, through eyes of faith. You've looked at God and you've said, God, I admit I'm a sinner and I believe that Jesus died in my place and I... I turn my sin over to him and I accept his righteousness. Save me from my sin. I believe that Jesus died and rose again for me. If not, why not? Is the Spirit of God pulling on your heart this morning? Do you know in your heart that 
God is real. His commandments are, are firm. He cannot violate them. And that Jesus Christ came to pay the price for your sin. If so, put your faith and trust in him today, my friend. Do that. Make sure you're ready for eternity. And then let the, let the fullness of life in Christ be yours. Enter into a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Stop roasting chickens with the rest of your life. And so, Father, you know our hearts and our minds, and you know the, the thoughts of our most intimate parts about uh, what's going on in our, our value system of the core of our being. And, Father, would you just, through your Holy Spirit, bring conviction on those who need conviction today. Would you open blind eyes so that people will see Christ and, and lay down their sinfulness and receive his righteousness and by faith enter into new life in Christ the finished, completed, once-for-all work of salvation on the cross, recognizing that those without Christ are in condemnation already. Father, accomplish your purposes, I pray. Father, search our hearts, know our hearts, cleanse our hearts, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.